so understanding and learning what some of the dysfunction was and the and the healthy functionality of your your upbringing really helps you when you go into marriage because when you get married you don't just marry each other you you marry each other's families yeah. right not just like they don't just show up for Thanksgiving and <laughs> <Yeah>. Christmas like <laughs> they will show up in your arguments all the time right? yeah <laughs> they will show so up true. all that stuff will come out mm-hmm. and it's only a matter of time till it comes out and by the way once you have kids it comes out even more so be ready for that. Okay. She's like, yep. Yeah. <laughs> hey, welcome to the Night Church Podcast, where we meet every Friday evening for worship at the Loma Linda University Church for young adults by young adults. We hope this encourages you and someone else you know. Enjoy. Happy Sabbath. Good to see all of you. I am so glad that you're here. My name is Philip. I'm the young adult pastor here at the University Church. Tonight is going to be a really, really good night. We are finishing the end of the Song of Solomon series, The Princess and the Prince. Some of you here tonight might be sitting next to your prince. Others of you are dreaming about your princess, wondering if she might have walked through the doors tonight and you might see her by the end. Others of you are regretting the princess you fell in love with that broke your heart. You might be in different spaces and stages. Wherever you are, I know that God has something here for you tonight. I'm also really excited as we finish this series, two of my really good friends are going to be here on stage. Three of my good friends. Didn't forget you, Kelly. Kelly's going to be moderating that experience. Uh, We have tonight with us our conference ministerial director, over 30 years of pastoral experience doing counseling with people, marrying people, bearing people, everything in the middle, and his lovely bride, Lisa, who's a licensed family and marriage therapist, and they are going to be going through some of the questions that you asked last week, so we're going to be doing that as an application to our sermon series tonight. So... Some of you are here for the very first time and you're wondering, what is this series all about? The Princess and the Prince is really uh, an ancient poetic advice column built from the wisest of men that ever lived, the Bible says. Now, some commentators looking at the Song of Solomon have to be honest, though. And the honesty is that here, Solomon, the man who had over 700 wives, over 300 concubines, writes a book of the Bible that we praise as an ideal of how to do love. Is there a strange dichotomy in that? I would say so. And so, as I've said every single week, I just want to reaffirm this. Commentators look at this book and they say it was written potentially in two different ways. That this was his very first marriage, his very first love that this man had. And this was his purest, most just genuine expression of what that love was or second this was after the fact after every single one of those marital encounters the escapades of sexual pleasure and he had experienced everything one might dream of or fantasize of even and he came to realize that's not what life is about and nor is it something that brought me the greatest happiness and joy and he thought back to what could be the best way of how love should live and exist. And so this series is a three-part exegetical chapter-by-chapter look at modern love through the eyes of an ancient poem. 
It is the courtship in phase one that we did in first week. It is the wedding that we spent time in last week. And now we look at the early marriage tonight. And so wherever you're at, I want to just kind of affirm where we've come in this series. So the first principles that we learned, listen to these. <coughs> so we first saw, our first principle in first week was that this girl called the Shulamite, which some theologians believe that's just simply a feminine version of the idea of Solomon. So in essence, Mrs. Solomon. Or it could be that this is Shulam, a region right outside of Galilee and where she was from. So either one of those, but she was called the Shulamite. The Shulamite revealed to us that she may have noticed Solomon's good looks first, but it was his solid character that won her heart. That was the first thing we learned when we started off this series. And so what we learn is you marry solid character, not potential, right? That means that's how you date as well. You don't date the guy that has a lot of potential but hasn't shown in his actions to be a man of honor and integrity, trustworthiness, hard work, respect in his both voice towards you and how he acts with you. You marry and you date action of solid character. Number two, we learned that singleness is a great season of life. It's a stage to be valued. It's a time to build up your personal happiness so that you walk into a relationship someday not feeling like, oh, you complete me, as every Hollywood movie says, but rather it's, I bring a blessing into this, and we both cherish one another, but you don't give me more happiness because I was happy before I found you. I was happy in Christ first. And so we use these years of singleness to be a blessing to the world, to impact the world with our time and our resources. So we don't live a life of desperation, hoping that one day we might find happiness. No, we find it now by using the talents and gifts God has given us. That is a solid foundation that you can begin a relationship with. Thirdly, we saw that before the couple got married, she was a virgin. This was a hard thing for some of us to see as, as many of us have lived not that way. And we've made mistakes and lived life in a way that we regret. And some of us have actually been acted upon by others with violent intentions and have caused us to then look at ourselves with guilt and shame. But we learned that scripture, while it upholds the idea of spirituality, of sexual purity as the goal, the Bible also declares that God values purity, but he's also incredibly gracious, he's incredibly loving, and he covers our shame with his mercy and his love and his forgiveness. And he rejuvenates that which is broken in us. And he calls us then to walk forward with his favor and knowing that we will yet still have an incredible relationship, regardless of the fact of our mistakes. And then we also saw this couple modeled in a very explicit way, though in different kind of terms and symbols that some of us are like, what in the world is he talking about? But this couple showed us that, hey, sex is something to be enjoyed and something that the marital union has as God's blessing. And so we also learned that marital sex is not only something to enjoy, but it's also mutually satisfying as each partner serves the other. 
It's not about looking to gratify me. It's about gratifying the other. And when both people see that way, it's a mutually gratifying experience. And this tells us that sex is other-focused and a beautiful gift in the right time. I use the illustration of the ocean and the waves that crash, the beautiful nature scene that that is. But that same beauty also in the wrong setting of a tsunami and the wave and its destruction carries horrendous damage. Same water, different time and season. It carries power to bless and power to kill. So, and lastly, we also learned in this series that singleness is not easy with its sexual temptations, whether in a dating relationship engaged or simply by yourself. But we must all learn to cherish the opposite genders by respecting them enough and their future spouse, who you might not just be. And so Song of Solomon re reveals to us that self-discipline is essential before marriage. Why? Because the married life will also require discipline. There will not be an endless supply of sex every time you want it. While it's way more than when you're single, there are seasons when restraint is essential. Restraint also from looking and exploring other people who aren't your spouse. And so here we are now. We look at this moment wondering what else is there that this book can tell us. So for the next few minutes, I want to just look at a few things with you. But before I do that, I want to share a few statistics with you. So here we go. It's really important to understand how to navigate the early years of marriage for a few reasons. Because studies show that divorce occurs in these early years of marriage. That's one of the highest spaces where divorce is going to happen. We'll probably hear more about that from John and Lisa. But between years one and two and years five and eight, these are the two times when most divorces will occur. Literally just out of the gate and you're here married with this person. You're like, who the hell did I marry? I'm out of here. I'm done. This is it. I'm over with you. You don't know how to navigate the conflict. 25% of the book of Song of Solomon is actually navigating conflict. And so we're about to see a little bit of that coming up. In the U.S., every 15 seconds, someone gets married. In the same time that it takes that couple who got married to say their vows, someone gets divorced every 45 seconds. Women are usually the ones who file for divorce. Sorry, gents. Divorce happens between two-thirds of the times by the woman or even three-fourths of the time, depending on the year in the U.S. as they gather their census data. The more stressful your work and the closer in proximity that you work with people intimately, the more likely you are to get a divorce because one or the other person falls in love with the people they work with, someone being unfaithful. People in medical fields, people in very stressful spaces, those in the entertainment and social industry, they need to be the most careful, actually. But let me tell you some good news. Can I do that for a moment? I know you're getting depressed here. Some good news, this I found the most interesting, the most beautiful about this generation right now. Young adults are getting married later, 28 and 30 respectively, women, men, and they're also getting divorced less. In the 1980s, this was the peak for the divorce rate in the United States. But now the divorce rates have actually dropped slowly over time since the 1980s. 
while 50% of people may experience divorce, it's not the same statistic. For those who are committed, faithful, consistent Christians, they actually, 80% of the time, they will stay in a healthy lifetime commitment to the person they said I do to. And so that gives you hope, believers who are in this room, to recognize you coming to church week in, week out, you going to Bible study, you staying faithful with your walk with Jesus, you praying with your spouse, you finding God and committing your life to him and serving in community and really jumping in what it means to be a person of evangelism with your life at work and around the world, you being committed to the kingdom call to love Jesus with all your heart, mind, and soul, it gives you a blessing, not just in how you live now, with others around you here as friends, but with your lovers because you have moral principles that guide you and build you up. And so we jump into this. Just a couple things I want to mention before John and Lisa come up. Let's look at the text here for a moment, okay? We get into now chapter 5 for a moment, okay? I'm going to give you these brief kind of big chunk ideas. We're not going to jump into a lot of the text like we have been. Chapter 5 immediately gets into it. Hey, my lover, where have you gone? Literally, they, we, verse uh, 4, 15, 16, 17, and 5, 1, it's like they're having sex. And then they wake up and it's like, you're going you're gonna to take your robe off again or not? Oh, I'm out of here. Wait, what? Literally, that's what the text points out there in verse 2, 3, 4, and 5. My love, where is your robe? I, well, can I be available to you all the time? I can't be doing that. Immediately, there's a conflict that emerges. They just said, I do. How are you going to be fighting the next moment? That's love and marriage, right? That's what happens. You get up in the morning, someone steps on something like, hey, you, can, you not, can you not find the trash can? It's like right there. And then you get an argument. What, what's wrong with the toilet seat? You know how to put it down? You have two hands. Where did come? You know where the cap is for the toothpaste? Do I have to keep reminding you? Am I your mother? I don't want to be your mother. You know, and these, these emerge immediately. So there's a lot of ways that we can look at this, okay? We can look at this by saying, did this couple really know each other before they said, I do? Did they really know each other? Was the Shulamite doing a con job? She was showing herself all beautiful and nice, and then all of a sudden they get married and say, I do, and it's like, well, this is who I really am, so get over it. The thing is, we always, as one theologian said, fall in love with the wrong person. We always do. Because we are all broken people. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Christ loved us while we were yet still sinners. And yet he still chose to love. Once you say, I do, it is your duty as a believer to find every means necessary to find peace, healing, and reconciliation with your spouse. That is your call as a believer. Now, we said it earlier in the very first sermon series. When you're dating, when you're engaged, your eyes are wide open, right? You're looking for everything. Ooh, that's a red flag, and that's a big red flag. I'm bouncing. This is not something that I'm in, the, in, the, in this season that I'm going to be working with you on because this is a, this is a deal breaker for me. I'm done. But when you do say, I do, while there are things that are big no-nos, there are things that are serious, 
you have the duty to your spouse and God and those around you, the commitment call that you made to fight through that, to work through that. You don't want to be the statistics after year one or two or five or eight that you're like, I'm done. I'm out of here. See you later. So what are some ways that you can foolproof, not foolproof, but not, no foolproofing going on here. But what are some ways that you can really build security around your marriage and, and really bless that couple unity and the commitment you made? You have every right in your marriage and wheelhouse to find reconciliation with that spouse. I love the work of John Gottman. You maybe are going to talk about that. You're going to talk about John Gottman? Okay, good, good. Okay. John Gottman, he created the Love Lab. He's one of the most kind of uh, world-renowned psychologists and therapists that studied how people get divorced. And he found four ways in which people will get a divorce almost at a 97 percentile in their lab studies that they did. And couples who have, these are the following, okay? Listen to this. Couples who have any of the four horsemen of the apocalypse that lead to divorce, they will end in divorce. First one is a spirit of criticism. You're not just critiquing your spouse about issues that you see, but you're criticizing them constantly. Spouses that have contempt for the other. Contempt is almost like literally like, I don't like you, and I look down upon you. I disrespect you. Defensiveness. You point out something, hey, no, that's not me. <laughs> Always on edge. Never want to be wrong. Never want to point out that I might be at fault. Last one, stonewalling. When you set up an emotional barrier between you and your spouse and you literally don't want to even engage in resolving conflict or dealing with issues, you're averse to really kind of fighting through things. Elaine and I, we're not afraid of that. We fought way too much. I don't know how many of you are fighters. Some of you are like, no, 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 no. That's the last thing. Well, we didn't have that problem. And so we had to learn how to do the opposite rather to show love and kindness in our disagreements. But how do you deal with the antidote for conflict? These are a few things that, that John Gottman brought up. He said, be gentle in your conflicts. Build a culture of appreciation. Take responsibility. And do some psychological self-soothing, meaning breaks between your fights. I, I love that. Well, chapter 6 goes into the resolution. And this couple, they found that they didn't, they didn't have to fight anymore because they realized, I don't want to fight to win. I want to fight to find a friend. And that was the big difference. The Shulamite ended up opening herself up again to Solomon, who there was conflict with. And she found herself saying, I don't want to win this war, my love. I want a friend. You know, couples who know how to be friends before they're married actually find a lot more meaningful joy in their marriage you want to always find that that person you're with is also your good friend you might love them but do you like them do you like being around them do you share interests and hobbies how is your conversational life these are all things that are really important that this couple found that they had chapters seven and eight is about a maturing relationship this is where this couple's growing through conflict. They're, they're realizing, wow, there's a moment where literally the Shulamite gets so angry, Mrs. Solomon, and she bounces. And Solomon's like, where are you, my love? Where are you? And he goes to seek her out and find her. Verse 10. I want to just spend a little bit of time here in the last four verses just for the remainder of this moment that I have with you. 
And so if you would open up your Bibles with me just for a moment, I want to just look at this uh, with you. So open up Song of Solomon and go to chapter um, 8 for a moment here. And we're just going to read the last several verses here because it really is so beautiful that I want this final advice to be for you. Beginning in verse 8. These are the brothers of the Shulamite. And, we, and he, they say, We have a little sister and she has no breasts. What shall we do with our sister? On the day when she is spoken for, if she is a wall, we will build in her a battlement of silver. If she is a door, we will enclose her with boards of cedar. In essence, the brothers are saying, listen, if she's a wall, great. You can build something upon someone who doesn't have an opening for temptation into their marriage. Someone who has no room for messing around. But if she's a door, meaning she has an opening well, whatever, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm willing, I'm available. We're going to build a battlement around her. We're going to enclose that because we don't want there to be any space for any concern in this marriage. And so the brothers are literally taking an active role in helping this couple. Then verse 10, now the Shulamite speaks, I was a wall and my breasts were like towers. Then I was in his eyes as one who finds peace. Meaning, her lover could rest because he had trust in her. So she brought peace in the relationship. Are you that kind of a relational person in, a, in, in whether it's dating or do you want to be that person where you're kind of the person they have to say, hey, can I see your phone? You want to give me your password to your internet? Can I check your DMs? You don't want to be that kind of person. You want to be the person that's an open door. Hey, here are all my passwords. Here's everything. I'm an open book. I love you. I care for you. I'm trustworthy. Then verse 11. Solomon had a vineyard at Baal Hermon. He let out the vineyard to keepers. Each one was to bring its fruit, a thousand pieces of silver. My vineyard, my own, is before me, you, O Solomon. May you have a thousand of the keepers of fruit and two hundred. Now he says this. O you who dwell in the gardens with companions listening for your voice, let me hear it and listen to this now. Now she speaks the gospel to him. My, make haste, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or a young stag on the mountains of spices. Come forth, my love. In essence, this is the end of the book of Revelation. This is now the bride of Christ speaking to the king of the universe. God himself, do not wait any longer, O Lord. Come. May your soon coming emerge may we see your face the song of solomon is all about also the gospel itself it is about the bride of christ being someone that can be built upon for the kingdom use that isn't a door that's open for satan to just kind of use and abuse and have a life that really is of no essence for something greater than our pleasures and our affections for the earth but rather that we would see that our life our marriage our relationships also mirror the relationship the church has with God himself. And so tonight, as we conclude, I want to just leave you with a few things just to consider. Here's a quote from Pastor Skib Heitzig. He says, getting married is easy, staying married is more difficult, and being happily married is considered among the fine arts. You're going to have to really study your spouse. The book of Song of Solomon, before he got into this, uh, section we're in tonight it said hey do you know me my love you're gonna have to study your 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 spouse your boyfriend or girlfriend as an art form that's a beautiful thing 
And now I leave you with this. Rabbi Akiva, he said this. The entire history of the world from its beginning to its very end to this very day does not outshine the day on which the book of Song of Solomon was given to Israel. All the scriptures indeed are holy, but the Song of Songs is the holy of holies. Why? Because it mirrors the relationship of God with us. We are the bride of Christ, you and me. We call to the world either a testimony of the love of Jesus with our life or we call out to the world a testimony of unfaithfulness. And it isn't a word of condemnation against any one of us. Hey, if you're a brand new believer, you're making mistakes in your life, there's sin, you're addicted to things, and you feel guilt and shame for those things, I understand. I'm there with you because I'm a sinner. But I want you to recognize it's the love of Christ that beckons us to step away from some of those things. Not because we want to earn salvation, but because we want to please God and say, Lord, thank you for your mercy and grace. Thank you for loving me when I was unlovable. And that's the same kind of love we want to live out with the romantic people in our lives. That when they look at your relationship, your marriage, it might speak to the world the love of God to them. So, friends, tonight, may you be blessed in the Holy Spirit as this book kind of nourished your soul. Now, as we kind of move into this next moment, as we kind of talk about the practical realities of a marriage, I want to uh, invite you into doing something with me. We're going to actually ask you, as our kind of ministry partners for kingdom building here in Loma Linda, to take a survey with us, three really quick questions as we kind of set up the stage for our panel. I want, to, want you to pull out your phones. Don't jump on Instagram, please. But do jump on this poll right here. I want to ask you to help us for a moment. There's three simple questions that we're asking. What is Praxis doing well? What is Praxis not doing well? And what else do you want to tell us? Kind of open-ended. What's Praxis doing well? What's Praxis not doing well? And what else do you want to tell us? We're going to be asking a series of surveys over the next coming months just to keep growing in our understanding of who's here and what we believe uh, you might need more than maybe what we're giving. And so we want to really understand more deeply from your kind of perspective. What can we do better? What are we doing really great in that you want us to keep doing? And what else do you want to tell us? So we're going to kind of get the panel ready up here while you're doing that. I'm so glad that you've been listening to the first part of the sermon. This sort of production does require some financial cost. If you'd like to reach more young adults with this across the world, would you consider giving at praxisministry.org? You can select the Praxis Young Adult Envelope. Enjoy the rest of the sermon. As we answer these questions, I'm going to invite our friends, Pastor John and Lisa, to come up here and we're going to go ahead and I'm going to ask you guys like a foundational question while everyone fills out this form. Do you guys need the QR code again? I think there was one more question. Yeah? QR code one more time, please. You can take a picture of us too. Just kidding. <laughs> please don't. <laughs> um, but we're going to get started here. So as you guys fill that out for the last question, um, thank you guys so much for being here tonight. It is an absolute honor to be here with you guys. Just really quick for everyone to know, how long have you two been married? 
Uh, let's see. June will be 36 years. Wow. Yeah. That's a perfect number. So 35 number. years and then almost yeah, 36. Yeah, that's amazing. And we dated for four years before that. So it's, oh, you've known each other for so like for 40, 40 years. years. That's, I can do math. That's why we're the old people in the room. <laughs> <laughs> Some people you're, were looking at us like, why are you guys here? <laughs> young, young at heart. Because you're going to educate us. So um, we asked a few questions last week when Pastor Phil had a QR code up here. And so we have a few questions for you guys. But before we get started, um, I just wanted to hear a little bit of your wisdom of what is the foundation of what you believe is the key to a strong and um, beautiful Christian marriage? Well, one of the things, so uh, we got married a year before I started pastoral ministry. So been married 35 years, been in pastoral ministry for 34 years, and she has been a therapist for 30-some years, right? And um, so I like to joke and say I've been in therapy for 35 years, you know. Um, God knew I needed a therapist, you know, living with me to help me with my stuff. So, um, and we're both Loma Linda alumni, so that's, you know, she did her MFT program here, and I graduated Loma Linda back when it was last year. It was Loma Linda University way back in the day. Yeah. So with that said, um, yes, a lot of uh, marriage counseling, premarital counseling. She does a lot of marriage counseling and so forth. And I would say for, and I, I think I speak for you too because we've talked about this before several times, but for us, the very foundation, uh, when we look at Genesis and we look at the first wedding, the first marriage, if you will, um, God, we believe that God intended marriage to always be in the context of living under the reign of God. Mm. That outside of the reign of God, marriage was not meant to exist. Yeah. But that God, when he created us and, he, and we became one with him, it was in the context of completely living under the security and the love of God. Mm. Outside of that, then we're in trouble because then we look for every other resource to try to give us our heart's desire, which cannot happen apart mm. from God. And so, so that's the foundation is that, is that we, we talk about it like the difference between living in the kingdom of God or serving our empires. Mm. And that's what happens often. If we're, not, if we're not both trusting the reign of God over our lives to provide for our needs, to grow us, to become everything God's created us to be, then, then our empires, personal empires, really you battle for reign. Right. You battle for control. Yeah. And you battle to get your way because your way is the right way. And yeah. so you, you end up with empires fighting each other mm. unless somebody submits. Um, unless we both say we both need to kneel before the reign of God. Mm. That's you know, beautiful. And understand that. So that's, that's the foundation of everything that we'll share tonight to the answer to the question. That's, we want everybody to understand that context. Yeah. Apart from that context, these are just like, oh, here's how to have a you know, yeah. good communication, you know? Well, and, and that goes into what Phil was saying earlier of being complete in Christ first, being content in Christ first, and being able to not say, hey, you complete me, but you compliment me. Yeah, I love that. So we're going to go into snaps, right? Um, we're going to go into our first question. I have it right here. So we asked uh, last week, and this is just, you know, we're we're a young adult ministry. A lot of us are single or not married. And if you are uh, married, congrats. Really happy for you. Like truly, <laughs> truly, truly. Um, marriage is a gift. Uh, but singleness is a gift too. So we have a lot of questions for you guys. And we picked six questions. So the first one is, how does someone's personal relationship with Jesus affect the success of a marriage? 
you kind of tied into that. Yeah, a yeah. Bit. So I'll yeah. just piggyback on that again. I mean, again, to me, that's what the gospel is. You know, when Jesus came and it talks about him starting his ministry, he proclaimed the kingdom of God. The yeah. kingdom of God is now here, right? And the opportunity, the, the grace of God is that no matter who we are, we get to be in the kingdom of God. Mm. Anybody who wants to be in the kingdom of God can. And so to understand that, and that's what the Beatitudes were about, blessed are, blessed are, because you don't have to be rich or have a lot of power to get into the kingdom. Mm. You can be anybody, right? So, so with that as the foundation again, then Christ says, uh, you know, we take the words very seriously when Jesus in John 15 said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Yeah. Abide in me, I'll abide in you, and you will bear much fruit. And then he says, but apart from me, you can do nothing. Yeah. And so when he goes later on into the fruit of John 15, he says, love one another. Not, he didn't just say love one another. Mm. He says, love one another like I've loved you. Mm. And that's the fruit of abiding in Christ. So having that intimate relationship with Christ, always making that, making my relationship with Christ and knowing his love for me is the number one priority. My yeah. second priority is my love for my spouse. Yeah. And so, and you're okay with that, right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but, but then if that's the case, then the ideal is that I'm going to begin loving my spice, my, my spice, my spouse. She's spicy. <laughs> we do have some Italian in this season. But I'm going to, she is spicy sometimes, yeah. but I, uh, I'm going to love my spouse <laughs> more like Christ loves me mm. rather than just how I love myself. Mm, I love that. Right? Which yeah. means sacrifice. Sacrifice. Which means humility, which means etc. Servant yeah. love, right? So, so I think our whole premise for our relationship and as we counsel others is that's got to be priority number one. Yeah. You know, priority yeah. number two will happen, et cetera, out of the overflow. Absolutely. It's the example of what God has already set for us right. that we can now do in our relationship. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's beautiful. Thank you. So our second question is, what is it truly like? Someone asked, is it worth it? They're talking about marriage. Um, and what were your best and hardest parts? Is it um, worth it? It's <laughs> worth it. <laughs> it's worth it. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think it depends on the person. I think it could be very scary um, going mm -hmm. into a marriage because it's different. Um, even though you know that person, it's like, it's just me and you. And are we going to do this? And how yeah. are we going to do this? And I have to give up some of my own, you know, maybe desires or comfort level as far as, you know, doing things the way I want to do them to, to compromise with the other person. So I think it can be scary and an adjustment, and it can be the best, um, totally worth it, in my opinion. Um, we've often talked about how it's kind of like having a sleepover with your best friend for the rest of your <laughs> life, right? Um, and just as a side note, I think it's so important to, as you're looking at who you might marry, is to choose wisely. Um, a lot of times we get panicked because everybody else is getting married or we're getting older or whatever, but it's it's significant to wait yeah. to make sure that that person is someone that is your best friend mm -hmm. because um, 36 years would be a long time if I didn't like him. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I like him a like lot. <laughs> so um, it's, it's really important. Um, I lost the second part of the question there. I oh, think. it says, what were your best and hardest parts? Okay. Um, I think that is the best is just just living life with my best friend being on this journey with God with him 
um, as we raise, raise our kids. One of them's here. Um, <laughs> and um, just, just doing life, it's just, it's, I don't know, I can't even, I don't know if you can put words to it, to share that with someone, to pray for each other, to be real with someone, to for someone to know you truly and love you anyways, right? Um, even with your flaws and, and your strengths, right, yeah. is beautiful. Um, I think some of the hardest parts for me have been is when we're trying to resolve an issue and um, my maybe core issues or baggage from my you know, growing up or whatever, my life before, yeah. and his, like, kind of knock. And then mm -hmm. we're both trying to manage our own issues while we try to resolve an issue. I think yeah. that's one of the hardest parts mm. to work on. Yeah. What would you, you say? You yeah, no, I, I would say, um, so intimacy is obviously a big part of a marriage, right? Mm -hmm. And typically when we talk intimacy, we immediately think sexual intimacy. Mm -hmm. And I would say um, spiritual intimacy is even greater. Wow. And when, you, when you're growing intimately with Christ in your own journey and you're sharing that together and you're experiencing a deeper relationship with God together, then um, connecting yeah. happens just supernaturally, you yeah. know, in a sense. It is supernatural by God's grace. And so I think, um, and, and like, like she said, and I think like Philip said earlier, you know, you're, it's your best friend. You're continuing to grow as best friends. So yeah. you're always having fun. You, you pick up on each other's sense of humor over time. I mean, just different things. You know what the other <laughs> person's thinking, you know. And I would say, so on the difficult side, um, I think that, um, well, I'll just say it for me. Um, so I grew up in, a, in an Adventist home, very sheltered in my upbringing. She was not raised Adventist. And she was raised, um, her parents were in the restaurant business, um, alcohol was a common thing, all kinds of different things, right? And she was not as sheltered. And so when we got together, I mean, I had been living in a box my whole life, <laughs> and she had not. And so, so our worlds kind of collided. I mean, of course, we dated, and that was, that was helpful. Yeah. But I would say, for me, a lot of my immaturity um, was coming out. Mm. Because, for instance, growing up in my home, um, you didn't share feelings. Feelings were of the devil. Wow. You know, and so you don't share feelings. You can't trust your feelings. So you always shut them down. Mm. And so when she first asked me, like, how do you feel? And I would share something. She goes, that's not a feeling. That's a thought. And I'd be like, of course it's a feeling. I'm telling you it's my feelings. You know, and it's like, no, it's your thought. And it actually took me probably the first couple years of marriage to learn how to share a feeling. Wow. And so that was very frustrating, I know, for her. It tells you she's a yeah. long-suffering woman, right? <laughs> a woman of dirt. And I remember the first time I shared a feeling, she like, you did it. And I did, what did I do? I didn't even know I shared a feeling. Yeah. So, yeah, so I mean, so it's difficult because you, it, it, it humbles you mm. to realize like, man, I don't, I don't, I'm not doing good here, you know? So, so that was tough, but I did learn how to share, share a feeling. And so yeah. that was helpful. And she was very gracious to me and helped me along the way. Yeah, it opens up your vulnerabilities in ways where you probably never would have even tapped into unless you were married to an LMFT. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. <laughs> Specifically. Yep. Told you I needed Lisa. a therapist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Thank you so much for sharing. And also, I loved what you said, Lisa, of waiting to find the right person. I think so many of us in society and our families were pressured. Mm -hmm. And I've always told my parents um, in my late 20s, I was like, really? You guys want me to get married? You want me to just find anyone and get married and then get a divorce? Or would you rather me wait and find the right person, right? and then be in a happy marriage. So I think it's very important to wait. Yeah, so thank you for sharing that. 
And then the spiritual intimacy. I mean, you can find your partner at church, right? Right? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, number three. So what is a good way to handle expectations? I know that a lot of people have expectations for maybe a relationship, maybe for a marriage. So what is, a, what is some advice to how to handle expectations for a relationship? Um, I'll start off on this. Um, so kind of getting back to what I shared a little bit about my immaturity, um, I think that it's really important to pay attention to understanding or learning or discovering kind of your family systems. So the family system yeah. that I, so against, I grew up in an Adventist home, yeah. right? Very sheltered. She did not. Well, every family has wonderful, healthy functionality to it. And every family, right, has dysfunction to yeah. it. And so understanding and learning what some of the dysfunction was and the, and the healthy functionality of your, your upbringing really helps you when you go into marriage. Because when you get married, you don't just marry each other. You're, you marry each other's families. Yeah. Right? Not just like they don't just show up for Thanksgiving and <laughs> <Yeah>. Christmas. Like <laughs> they will show up in your arguments. All the time. Right? Yeah. <laughs> they will show so up. True. All that stuff will come out. Mm. And it's only a matter of time till it comes out. And by the way, once you have kids, it comes out even more. So be ready for that, okay? She's like, yep. Yeah. <laughs> so, so the earlier you can do some self-discovery on that mm. and study your family systems, you know, good therapists can help with that and discover, you know, this type of thing. Um, that helps a lot because, and I'll give you an example of something I'm not proud of, but it was something that happened, was I grew up uh, in a home where I felt like I had to earn love. Mm. And so achieving was everything. Right. And so when I was early on in my pastoral days, I was a uh, worked like crazy, um, did a lot of youth ministry in those days. And I felt like I was like my value, my self-worth was tied to how good, you know, I did as a pastor. Are you, are you an Enneagram person? Are you an oh, Enneagram yeah. three? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, you yeah, are yeah, such yeah, a three. Right. right? Can you tell? Can an you achiever. tell? <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. So. Um, so, like, when we bought our first house, we closed escrow. Mm -hmm. I was not there to walk through the door the first time with my wife mm. because I was out doing ministry with high schoolers. Right. And it was because my, my worth was so tied up into that that it, it still grieves me to this day that that happened, and that was back in 1991, mm. you know. And so, but that's what I'm saying is that those things were playing out in our relationship, and those things come out in other ways. So, so understanding what, what I'm bringing, you know, to you and what your, your spouse is bringing to the table, as much as you can get into that stuff before, mm. like don't do premarital counseling six weeks before the wedding. You know? <laughs> I, I've had that several times. Hey, can you do our premarital counseling? We're getting married in six weeks. And it's like, oh, man. Like give it a year. Mm. Give it a year, and even longer if you can. And just take time and let it breathe and do some deep work. And then even, you have some other things. Even doing pre-engagement counseling, I think, is good. Yeah. Um, I've had some people do that, and that's been very helpful. Um, I think the other thing is, I know when we went through premarital counseling, we, the pastor had us go through, like, a list of expectations, like who's going to do the laundry and who's going to cook the dinner and who's going to decide this or that and at the time I remember thinking that's kind of silly we'll just do it together because we love each other right yeah, I was thinking <laughs> she'll do that she'll do that yeah. 
And so, but it's very helpful to have those conversations because that's the nitty gritty of like what happens day to day. It's like, why do I have to do the dishes? Why isn't he doing the laundry? Or, you know, how many times does he expect we're going to have sex as opposed to what I expect we're going to have sex? And so talking about those things ahead of time, not that you will know the exact answer, but, um, but dialoguing about that is super important because it takes a lot of the stuff out of the way before you're already married and then you get panicked when conflict comes up. Do you realize how uncomfortable you just made our daughter? I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. I'm so glad you're here. <laughs> well, and I love what you said too about recognizing your family's patterns. I don't know if a lot of us realize that so much of our conflict, our patterns of conflict come from family. Um, there's a book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by Pete Scazzaro. And I've talked about it here before too, but it talks about going back in order to go forward, of recognizing what you have, because those are the things that you really need to take out and resolve before being able to move forward. Yeah, because those, those, those needs that are in you, if you're not doing the deep work, whether you're aware of those needs or not, your expectation is going to be for your spouse to fulfill those. Mm -hmm. And if they're unhealthy expectations, then you have false expectations that spouse can never, never do. Yeah, yeah, that's so beautiful. Thank you. Okay, question, we're, we're blazing right through these. We have two more questions. <laughs> question number five, how do you learn when and how to compromise and how to approach discussions to keep them from becoming a fight? Let me read it one more time. You're or? the communication mm -hmm. expert. So. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think we missed question three. Oh, was there another one before that? Yeah, how do you learn when or how to compromise and how do you approach discussions to keep them from becoming a fight? So the key for communication is, right, listening and being present. And that sounds like really simple and it's not, right? How many of us are needing to check our phone or our watch when it vibrates or whatever? So, so being present with the other person, um, listening, um, listening beyond just the words, but watching their body language, like do they look scared? Do they look, mm. um, do they look mad? Do they, you know, what's happening and asking like, what's happening for you because it seems like something's happening and let them tell you. Um, so doing that, I think also communicating feelings using I statements. Uh, a lot of times we talk a lot about thoughts like I feel that you da 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 and that's a thought. When I say I feel sad when this happens, right, then we can talk about that, right? Mm -hmm. And just like a side note, feelings, any feeling is valid if the person feels it. A lot of times we argue with our spouses or our significant others about whether they should feel that way or not. If they feel it, it's real, okay? It doesn't mean that it's what you're meaning to do or your intention, but you still have to deal with what's in the room. And so um, sharing your feelings, knowing what your feelings are, um, being able to validate the other person is uh, significant to hear them it doesn't mean you have to agree necessarily with what they're feeling but just say I get it that makes sense that you feel sad or scared and you know I'm sorry if I did something to have a part of that mm -hmm. to validate that is huge um, a lot of times we talk round and round about things and we never validate because we're afraid we're going to get sucked into some deep dark hole of, of the person being upset mm -hmm. and if we could just validate it it helps them move on 
And so we don't do it in a manipulative way where you just go, yeah, yeah, I get you, so you can move on. I mean, right. you want to be genuine about it, right? right. There's like so, a difference between like you feel that way, right? Like I, I saw something on Instagram, which is where we all get educated about everything. Right. <laughs> um, but it said like instead of saying you feel this way and I'm sorry you feel that way, it's saying I'm so sorry that you feel that way. Right, like there's a there's a way to phrase it differently. Of I hear you versus, oh, I'm just gonna blow it off. Right, right, right. Yeah, I think I I would like say. I I, I hear you that you're feeling this way. Is that right? Um, it's because sometimes when we say I'm sorry you I'm sorry you feel that way. Sometimes. Oh yeah, that's not that's the bad one. Yeah, well, you just <laughs> that's the one you don't want to say, right? It's like, like how would you unpack that? I mean, we could, we don't want to take a lot yeah. of time, but. It's just not good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because then you're you're kind of putting blame on them. Right. For feeling that blame way. On them. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And so. it doesn't take any accountability on you for maybe having a part in what happened. Mm. The and I would just say too, like, and we're do we're we're saying very short things that we could take hours to talk about communication, but yeah. I statements, mm-hmm. not you, <laughs> right? Because right. whenever we use the word you, then defensiveness usually starts up. But owning things. You know, I, I feel, I think, you know, those types of things um, are, are helpful. And, and, I, and this is something, you know, when you have kids, you tell your kids this all the time. But it's important for us to remember, you know, think before you speak. Yeah. <laughs> because oftentimes, especially if it's heated and we're feeling certain things, we will say things that then, oh, now we're just, now we're going to have to go like two levels more deeper. Yeah. Because we said something that really hurt somebody that we didn't, you know what I'm saying? I want to ask so. your daughter to answer this. <laughs> yeah. now. No, she's like, don't get me up here. <laughs> yeah, so just just breathe and think about what you're going to say mm. because things can be said that just, now you're never going to get to that issue for a while because yeah. now you have to talk about this issue. Mm-hmm. And I was just going to add too, just um, avoiding um, threatening abandonment. A lot of times we talk about I don't want to do this anymore or if you're married, you know, maybe we should just get divorced or we do those things out of frustration, but they're really hard to take the the feeling that that brings yeah. back. You can't undo that and it does a lot of damage. So being, you know, holding your words and, and saying those kinds of things and maybe setting in time to talk later when you're calmer um, so that you can say things that are healthy um, is important. And then finding, like you asked about compromise, finding yeah. a way to you know, how can we resolve this together? Like he was saying at the beginning, it's like if we're both seeking after Christ, we're we're going to want to do what is pleasing to the other person, not just get what we want, right? We want to figure out how can we both win, so to speak, or or maybe this time we do it his way, this the next time we do it my way, or yeah. whatever the case may, may be, depending on the circumstance. Yeah, I imagine it being like, well, is this really important to you? And if it is, like, I'm willing to listen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would love to just be a bug on one, on your wall when you have discussions. <laughs> All right. Oh, she's here. No. Yeah. <laughs> she's like, I've been the bug. <laughs> All right, last question. Um, how important is it to continue to be tapped into your friendships and time away from your spouse? It's important. <laughs> um, I think that, yes, there's... Again, I, I use the word priority one. Like this is priority one. God is priority one, priority two, and then friends are priority three. I would say, and it's very important for you to continue to have good friendships 
you know, uh, that, for instance, um, I've enjoyed playing the guitar, right? And I'm very blessed that she supports me playing the guitar and she likes me to play the guitar. However, if I say, do you want to go to Guitar Center? She's going to be like, not at all. <laughs> not at all, all right? She goes, why don't you go with one of your friends, you know? It's like, okay. So, I mean, with friends, you can do something. Like, your spouse doesn't have to absolutely enjoy everything that you do. But they can support it and appreciate it, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. um, and so that's good. And it's also just good to keep, you know, iron sharpens iron in different ways. And I think as well, like, friendships with other couples is really, you know, really good as well. But I don't know if there's anything else you want to talk about. I think that covers it. <laughs> It's important. Yeah, it's definitely. Important. I think yeah. everything, I mean, relationships, you want to be intentional, right? So you want to be intentional about your relationship with God, your relationship with your spouse or your boyfriend, girlfriend. You want to be relation or intentional about your relationship with your friends, with your family. Um, and giving time to that and having boundaries about that is really significant. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and I would say if it ever starts becoming more important, or taking more time being with your friends and being with your spouse, that's when you have to think about. Yeah. It's yeah. out of priority, out of order. Yeah. Or the other, when you're holding your spouse back from having the friendship connection, mm -hmm. you can get into that pursuer distancer thing where you're kind of glomming on to your significant other and they're moving away from you because they're feeling a little smothered. And, and so it becomes that thing you're pursuing, they're distancing, so you need to kind of back up, be in your own space, have your own stuff, and let them come meet you. Yeah. Um, if that makes sense. Yeah, that doesn't make sense. I think there's beauty in having accountability with your friends. Because mm -hmm. once you're in a relationship, it's like, oh, I'm in a relationship. But then there's conflict. Mm -hmm. There's happy highs. There's low lows. And so having that time away with your friends to say, hey, this is happening to me. Can you pray for me? Can you keep me accountable? I think that's so important, especially when things happen in, in our lives that we don't know who to talk to. And if we're only talking to our spouse or our partner, who do we have left? And I think God has created community. As we've talked about this season of this beauty of community of, hey, there's a there's a piece of God called the Holy Spirit in each person. And if we're, if we're showing each person through relational connections and friendships, then we can also tap into our friends and say, hey, I'm struggling. Can you pray for me? And it's, it's seeing that beauty through that. So I think it's super, that, that question is beautiful and it's also so important to remember. Once you're in a relationship, it's beautiful. Um, you still have other friendships that have to be maintained as well. Yeah, absolutely. Is there anything else? I think there was one more question that was like a Philip question. <laughs> uh, it says Philip's question. So um, from your professional experience uh, over the last 30 years, what are a few real examples of success and downfall? Yeah, some real examples of success and downfall. From, from your experience, what you've seen as strengths and pitfalls in early marriages. So either in your own experience of your relationship or in other early marriages that maybe Lisa has seen. I would say one. So just you, do, you never drift into a great marriage. Like it just doesn't ha just happen. Yeah. Just like you don't drift into an amazing relationship with God. I mean, you know, to be a disciple of Jesus means there's discipline involved. Yeah. Right? There's intentional effort. Like I have a vision that my greatest opportunity in life is to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. So I want to devote time and means and attention into that. Right? And, it, and when that happens, the same as a marriage. If I believe God is 
called me and invited me to marry this person, then, then he's inviting me into a, a life of discipleship with him together to be intentional about developing our communication skills, mm-hmm. developing better listening skills, learning how to share feelings, you know, learning how to, I mean, all of those things uh, are important. So being intentional, there's, so we just did a marriage workshop about a month ago down in San Diego, and there was a couple there that I had done premarital counseling with like 20 years ago or so. Wow. And, um, and I think you did some stuff with the Myers-Briggs with them as well. But he came up to me and he says, Pastor John, you, do you remember the box? And I said, the box? Yeah, the box. And, and when I do premarital counseling, I, I use this little illustration of the box. And I say, a lot of people think when they get married, they get this box. Now they're going to open it up and it's going to have all this incredible stuff in it. And really, you start off a marriage, and it sounds bad at first, but you have an empty box. Mm. And it's what you put into the marriage. You fill the box so that as you... (laughs) And here's the thing. If you're not putting things in the box, then when you hit a crisis in your marriage, you have nothing to draw on because it's empty. So that's what I'm saying. You have to be intentional. You know, go to marriage seminars together. Read books together. Grow. Go to a therapist together. You know, yeah. even if you don't think you have any issues, you're in denial. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but go to a, go to a therapist. Say you don't think we have any issues, but we know that there's probably stuff there, and, and they'll just ask you about yourselves and they'll say, well, they'll hear things, and it's not like it's major, but that's when you want to do the counseling. Yeah. That's when you'd rather do the counseling, right? So, yeah. so I would say that's. That's important, you know, that intention. So that's the, but the box. So he was, he was telling me about that. I, so that was encouraging to me that 20 years later, there's like, he goes, I think about that box all the time, man. I put stuff in there and that's great. You've uh, got like amazing things. One of the box. sad experiences I had, and I'll, I'll stop talking in a minute. I actually had a couple come to me one time. <laughs> <laughs> they came, they literally came to me and they said, here's our divorce papers. It's up to you to get us not to sign this. And I said, I'm not good enough or smart enough, <laughs> but I can pray. And I did say some things, but, but yeah, they unfortunately did get a divorce. But, that was, but I'm going to stop talking because you have 30 years of therapy with people. I mean, I think a lot of it is like the normal stuff. If there's um, infidelity or there's, you know, substances or other things that are in the world that kind of interrupt, right, that's going to have an effect on a marriage. Um, I think a lot of it is willingness. I've had couples that have had a lot of that stuff. Um, I remember one couple in specific that that it was a horrible affair, and it didn't, I won't go into detail, but it, there was a lot to it, and it was made public. And, and um, this couple, they were Christians, and they were able to work through it um, through counseling as well as prayer and just devoting themselves to God, and God healed them. I mean, they had such a testimony and are still married today and still going strong. So if you're willing and you're willing to submit to God in it, any I mean, he can heal anything. I, I've seen that over and over again. It's people who, that are not willing um, who shut down or who, you know, just say, you know, I've already tried. You know, a lot of times people come and the one person's in a relationship with someone else saying, I'm here to try for my marriage for the last time. And that's not realistic. You can't be in a relationship with someone else and try in this relationship. So um, that's that's the stuff where the pitfalls are um, or or people that just kind of drift. They, they're not intentional. They're not intentional about dates, communication, that kind of thing. 
um, the people that are the opposite, right, who are very intentional, who are very committed um, to God and to their relationship. I see a lot of people who aren't Christians, and so a lot of it is just trying to teach them the concepts of of not having their own kingdoms or empire and, and kind of joining together like us as a couple, what do we want as a couple and kind of moving forward from there. Um, I think one of the most significant things for me, um, or actually, why don't you tell the story about um, the couple from our marriage retreat? Because that's oh. a really special story. So we, we, uh, we've done these marriage retreats in the past. They're called sacred heart marriage retreats. And it's, and it's, so it's like 15 couples that they, they're like a cohort and they go on four marriage retreats together with all the same couples. And the focus is on uh, your intimacy with the Christ overpouring, overspilling into your, um, overflowing into your relationship with your spouse. And so uh, years ago when we were doing this, we had some, some couples uh, from out of the area who were coming in and, um, and it was one of these situations where the wife was really trying to fix the husband, you know. <laughs> and uh, um, but they came and 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 they had some. St- every retreat had solitude time to be alone with God individually, and then there was solitude time together. And about halfway through the retreat process, so about two, three retreats into it, I think we were the fourth or fifth one we had total. Um, they they just experienced a breakthrough in their marriage. And they weren't, they weren't young, you know, they were, uh, they were probably at least our age. We're not young, but they were <laughs> probably, they were, but they were a little older. They're probably in their 60s. We're in our late 50s. And um, um, I remember, they, so they said this, okay. Um, I'll preface this by saying they were Asian, okay. And this is what they said. We thought we were just going to have to do the Asian thing. And we're like, well, we didn't know what the Asian thing was. So we said, what's the Asian thing? We don't know what that is. And they said, we just thought that we were going to be living together the rest of our life but not love each other. And they were empty nesters. Their kids were out of They were all adults. And they just, but they said, but, but through this process, we've fallen in love all over again. Wow. And it came through intentional abiding in Christ in community with others who were intentional about that. Yeah. And so, yeah. That's beautiful. And I think the takeaways from this is marriage has shown you so many things of how you can build your character, how you can build your community, how you can communicate effectively, how you can work on all these things that we as maybe if you're single, maybe if you aren't in a relationship, we can start working on that now. Right. Like these are are ways that we can take these gems that we now know from your marriage and from other. I'm sure there's many books out there, too. But the things that we can learn now. And and I think so much of us, you know, are thinking of, oh, we're going to eventually get there one day. But once we get there, we'll work on that. And I think the beauty is we can work on that now of communicating effectively, of growing in community, um, and of, of understanding God's love and working on a relationship with Christ first above everything else. So in this moment right now, I'm going to call the band to come up. But before we do so, and before we have our last song, Pastor John, would you be able to pray for us? Sure. be honored to. <clears throat> Jesus, we're so grateful that you are here with us. And I thank you that for all of us here, Lord, we never, we never even have to ask you to be with us because you always are. And so, Jesus, I pray that, first of all, 
we would, by your grace, allow ourselves to be drawn deeper into our relationship with you. And that we would know that you love and accept us for who we are and wherever we're at right now in this life. There is nothing that will separate us from your love. And so, Jesus, I pray also that we would put our trust in you for who you have created to be our spouse. And Lord, I fully believe that if we will follow you, you will lead us to the one we are to become one with. And so, Jesus, I pray for everybody in this room and those who uh, may be listening if they're online or whatever it might be, Lord, may your kingdom come and your will be done in every single one of our lives, in our hearts and our minds and in our wills. And for those who are married in our marriages, we love you, Jesus. And thank you for the way you love us. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to the Night Church Podcast. We hope you've been blessed by this sermon. And if you have, maybe you can share this with a friend. If you'd like to stay in touch, you can follow us on social media at Praxis Ministry or come visit us in Loma Linda on a Friday evening. We'll see you in the next episode.